Welcome to the Bible Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. I'm Matt Cable, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Zach Paris, I'm the pastor of Luther Gibbons Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder. And Zach, we're, uh, we're going to talk about Holy Week uh, today, but you know, before you enter Holy Week, Santa it's good to take a vacation. Just, just take a vacation. Take a vacation. You can't do Holy Week without preparing for it. And you got to think about as religious professionals, lots of times uh, people make that joke, they're giving up church for Lent. And one of the nice things about Lent and liturgical time is it demarcates time as it as separate from other time. And as religious professionals, it's hard. It's hard to have a Lent when it's just it's your regular routine, except more intense. So sometimes you just got to get away. You got to step outside of your normal routine to have your wilderness experience. Because uh, <clears throat> I think we both traveled to the wilderness. Uh, yeah. And so we had our Lenten wilderness experience. Matt, mine slightly preceded yours. The family and I. I've been writing emails in Spanish, uh, Matt. You and Matt and Christina, you'd be so proud of me. Uh, I've been making reservations at Albergues in Spain for our student trip in May. Aceptas reservas? 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 Google Translate, man. Google Translate. Tien. Necesito doce plazas para. So, uh, we're going to Spain. I had, a, had a week of vacation. We snuck up eight hours north of the Front Range here in Colorado uh, to northwest Wyoming. Uh, I was greeted by a delegation from the state of Wyoming. I really appreciated that. They wanted to meet me in person on the side of the road, uh, and they gave me a ticket, Matt, uh, that I enjoyed. My citation I enjoyed uh, because it said that it, like, it has like the official, like it's just a form, you know, and that my speeding disrupted the peace and tranquility of the state of Wyoming. <laughs> so you know me, Matt, disruptor of the peace and tranquility of the state of Wyoming. I yeah. am, they had my picture up on, on saloon walls. It was really something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Matt, yeah. we went up to, to Jackson, a friend of the pod. Uh, Inger there is the pastor of the ELCA church in, in Jackson, Wyoming. Fun fact for church nerds, Jackson, Wyoming, you might think should be part of the Rocky Mountain Synod because Wyoming is one of the five states that make up our synod, but it is so far away from Denver that it's actually in the Montana Synod. Uh, there are what? a couple uh, little congregations in northern Wyoming that are much closer to the church in Montana than they are to the church all the way down in the Front Range. So, great time up in Jackson. Man. We went up to Grand Teton National Park. Zelma got into the, into the national park there. Uh, we did a little snowshoeing. Uh, with a, a glacial lake looking up at the at the Tetons, uh, beautiful. Then we spent a couple of days skiing. And the thing, Matt, is when you go skiing in Jackson, you have to take a bus in. You can't. They don't have like. It's not really a place for you to just go park and then go go ski. And we had a great time. My daughter, two year old Zelma, as an excellent skier, we took her swimming the other day, and I realized that her ski skills are like just multiple times better than her swimming skills. Uh, which is a thing I'd never thought I'd be able to say about my offspring, but uh, had a great time. Hannah stuck around, took a lesson in the afternoon, the vinyl spouse. And so Zelma and I went back to the hotel for, for afternoon nap, which is lovely. And it was in the middle of the nap that I realized that I did not know where the key to our 2007 Volvo was. Uh, I knew that I'd taken it with me because I had fallen on it earlier in the day and it stabbed me in the chest and it hurt. 
Um, but it wasn't in my pockets. It wasn't in my jacket anywhere. Uh, I started Zomo as asleep, and this, I started turning this dark hotel room upside down, looking for the key. Uh, and then finally, Matt, I broke down, and I did the unthinkable. First, I called Lost and Found, and they didn't have it. Uh, and then I did the hardest thing that I'm sure you're familiar with this phenomenon. Uh, I was like, well, I guess I have to ask Hannah if she has it. So I texted Hannah in the middle of a ski lesson if she has it. She finally gets around to, to respond. He's like, no, I don't have it. Uh, and I'm like, oh, crap. The car only came with one key. They're super expensive. We looked into getting another key because I lose things. Uh, but it's like $500 to get a key. And why do I need a $500 for a key I don't really need right now? And the car is not worth that much more than $500. So I was like, oh, no, this is very bad. But then, Matt, right before I picked up, I literally picked up my phone to call the locksmith uh, to start this process in motion. I see the ellipsis on the text screen with the vinyl spouse. Dot, dot, dot. And out of that dot, dot, dot emerges the most beautiful two-word sentence I've ever seen. Got it. (sighs) Got it. She stopped (laughs) by the lost and found, and someone had turned in the key to a 2007 Volvo. Uh, And what was lost was found, the coin... Of the, is, was returned to the other coins. The the one sheep returned to the nine and the lost son. And we we slaughtered the fatted calf. We went to the. We actually we found this lovely little tacos and tequila place, um, and we rejoiced uh, because what has what had been lost was found, man. That'll preach, man. That'll preach. Oh, it did. It did <laughs> preach on Sunday. Also, Matt, just a heads up. On Thursday, we were set to return to Colorado. And so I went out to, uh, to open the car so we could start packing it. And uh, the odds, Matt, of someone tur- turning in the key you lost on a ski slope is very low. But I think the odds are even lower that on the day you lose a key to a 2007 Volvo on a ski slope, someone turns in a key to a 2007 Volvo that's not your Volvo. <laughs> it was not our car key, Matt. <laughs> what? It didn't work for our car. It was not our key. What? <laughs> it looked identical, but it did not work. Our, it did not operate our car. We could not get into our car. After I called a locksmith who cracked it open, it would not start the car. Uh, the salvation was false, Matt. It was false. So then it's got one of those like like it used to be a big deal, like a laser cut kind of key, right? And the good thing about those laser cut keys is most of the time you can call uh, somebody and you tell them like the VIN number for your car and they just recut you on. So great. We'll call Volvo. We'll have them uh, cut us a new key and they'll just like overnight it to us and we'll spend an extra day in Jackson. Oh, tough, tough life, right? Uh, but Matt, it turns out that to rekey a Volvo, you can only do it at a Volvo dealership. And the car has to be physically present. There is not a Volvo dealership in Jackson, Wyoming, Matt. Uh, there's one in Billings, Montana. There's one in Boise, Idaho. There's one in Fort Collins, Colorado. And the closest of all is in Salt Lake City, Utah. So what we did, Matt, was I rented a U-Haul truck with a car transporter. And somehow we found a way to shove that damn car onto the car trailer and we drove six hours from Jackson, Wyoming to Salt Lake City, Utah, where I could spend $750 getting two keys made so that I could operate a car that works perfectly fine and that I legally own. And then we drove eight hours back 
from Salt Lake to Boulder. <laughs> is this a real story? <laughs> this is the story of my life. The good news, the silver lining to all this, Matt, is that there are in and outs in Salt Lake. <laughs> I've already had my Holy Week, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, but I preached the hell out of that story, Matt. And here's how I yeah. preached it, right? I mm-hmm. set up because I yeah. went with wholeness uh, that God cares more about the wholeness of things rather than the finding the one thing that was lost, right? Uh, I did preach the hell out of this because I said, right, this could be a story about the lengths I was willing to go to to find what was lost. To spend a thousand twelve hundred dollars trying to get a key that I had lost, driving six hours out of my way to, to to Utah. I got to go to Idaho, Matt. I've never been to Idaho. What a blessing! Um, it could be that kind of story, right? That we ended up driving fourteen hours uh, that day, or it could be a story about the wholeness and the abundance of God. Uh, because it turned out one of the maintenance guys at the motel where we were staying uh, saw me uh, <laughs> with my forty foot rig of U-Haul, U-Haul and trailer. Uh, and he dropped everything he was doing and helped me for two hours try to negotiate this incredibly heavy Volvo whose steering wheel was locked, right? You couldn't turn it, the steering wheel, because it didn't have a key because it was locked, right? Uh, right? And he helped me for two hours try to figure out how to get that car onto that trailer. Uh, and more than that, it turned out that he was a full-time mechanic on the side. Uh, this was kind of a side gig. Uh, and so he had all these jacks and stuff in his trucks, and he was super eager to, like, get them out and, like, help us get the car on there. And he had noticed when we were uh, – uh, as we were trying to get the car onto the trailer that the check engine light was on in the moving truck. And I had also noticed this, Matt, but I was determined to get to Salt Lake City by 4 o'clock, and I figured if the van was going to blow up, that was all in God's hands. But he happened to have the diagnostic tool in his car, right, so he could pull the codes, and he cleared the codes and told us it was probably going to be okay. The, the folks at the motel were incredibly generous and, like, extended our, our – uh, renewed our keys so we didn't have to worry about juggling our 40-foot rig, a toddler, and a checkout time. The guys at the dealership in Utah assured us they were going to stay that night to make the key and so we didn't need to, like, rush in between. Just take your time. Be safe. Was, and and uh, Hannah and Zoma, while I was sitting at the dealership, across the street was the Utah uh, – the Salt Lake City Public Library. And, had, and Zoma went and played with all these kids and had a great time in Salt Lake City. Instead, through the eyes of God, it was a story of abundance, man. Still frustrating, <laughs> but a story abundance. of abundance. We got hmm. to experience so much of the abundance of God. How was your vacation, man? <laughs> <laughs> One of the challenges uh, on Palm Passion Sunday is figuring out how to preach on so long and terminable story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Zach just wanted to illustrate for us. <laughs> if it's a good story, it doesn't matter how long. <laughs> good. I mean, I just imagine that story is good in retrospect because in the moment. <laughs> you should have seen us shoved into the cab of that moving truck because Zoma, of course, is still in a car seat. <laughs> so Zoma's right. in a car seat. Hannah's in this jump seat in the middle. Uh, we're all shoved into the, this U home. I had the thought while all this was happening and trying to figure out how the hell to make this happen, uh, that, you know, maybe I could just make a go of it in Jackson. Uh, maybe I just live here now. That's 
I mean, to be fair, the one uh, point of commonality is that was the same thought that I had when I flew into Seattle. Maybe I could just live here now. Maybe I just <laughs> cancel that return ticket and stay yeah. in one of the most beautiful places on Earth, uh, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, gorgeous. I did not have any car trouble because uh, mm. we flew and rented a car. So, uh, no, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, gosh, it just makes it seem like my vacation was much easier even though it did i mean you know we had two toddlers so the the vacation began and ended uh with vomiting <laughs> uh, so um both both first one kid the first night and the other kid the last mm. uh, last day that's, you know, right yeah it was a good uh good bookend uh to the trip uh but uh yeah yeah, no, we uh, we had a couple days in uh, Seattle visiting people, uh, and then we drove to the Olympic Peninsula. I can only assume it's also the theme for the national park. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great national park. Have you been there? I have. Yeah, temperate rainforest is really something you gotta you gotta experience. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's just a super cool, wild place. Uh, the first time that we went there, it, see, like we actually had a much easier time. I don't have like a crazy story because mm. the first time I went there some ten years ago, uh, we were camping because we had no money, and uh, and I wanted to camp on this uh, oceanfront at this oceanfront campsite, but uh, as usual. On that peninsula, it was raining the night that we went oh, to go camp. In a rainstorm. Uh, crazy rainstorm. Uh, so we went to, we got there after dark, uh, tried to, this was 10 years ago, right? Not this time, not this time. So this is the memory in the back of our heads. Uh, and I went to camp on the edge of the ocean. So we tried to set up this little tent underneath some trees for rain cover. And after we got the tent set up, I was like, you know, this is nice under these trees, but I really want to be closer to the cliff. Like, I want to be closer to the ocean i want the i want this campsite the farthest the closest to the ocean the farthest from and uh chris was like somehow she went along with this this is the part she couldn't figure out from the story is why she went along with it so we started <laughs> moving the tent over to the edge and uh there's an rv parked next to this campsite and the guy gets out and he's like do you guys do you guys need some help and uh obviously i said no we're doing Clearly. Fine. uh so we uh we spent a very sleepless night uh, in this rainstorm, uh, and as soon as dawn broke, we drove into Forks, home of the Twilight movies, uh, threw all our stuff into a dryer, got some coffee, uh, and continued into the rainforest. So this time we stayed in the National Park Lodge, and it was very pleasant. Oh, it good. Was nice. Good, good. Yeah. So it was great. Uh, Most of the roads so were closed in Grand Teton still. <laughs> really? Just yeah. walls of snow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I also discovered that although we saw some pretty amazing things, um, my two-year-olds were most excited about any time we stopped at a playground, just any old playground uh, anywhere. So really, we could have just gone across town <laughs> to a playground in Los Angeles, and, and they would have been just as happy. But uh, adventures, sometimes you just got to get out of town before Holy Week. You got to do it. Have an adventure. Drive six hours to Salt Lake City. You got to do it. Take that break. Lent is Lent. Uh, Matt. Uh, this may sound tangential, but I think this is a good way to get us into Holy Week. Uh, mm -hmm. Good friend of the pod, never been a guest because we've never asked him, uh, Ben Stewart, professor, professor of liturgy and worship at the 
Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago, uh, talks about the cross as a tree. Um, and my reading, Matt, has taken me to a fun place. Uh, I've been about the trees for about a year now, and I finally have found a good book. I'm reading American Canopy, which is the history of the United States as told through trees. And gosh, I love it. Matt, we this is a country of trees. And I say all this really to set up where um, I'm hoping this comes together as our conversation continues. Uh, but this is a journey to a tree, really, is what Holy Week is about in the three days that we go through this uh, we're going to end up at a tree here, uh, but uh, put it all together. We have the oldest trees, the tallest trees, the biggest trees, and whatever you want to classify the right. So uh, the bristlecone, amazing story, Matt. The bristlecone pine is the oldest uh, tree in the world, and it's mostly in the southwest, right in the Sierras in particular, right at the edge of the tree line. And uh, they got kind of discovered in like the forties and fifties. And they found this sample uh, that was 4,500 years old uh, in Nevada, which is insane, right? And they developed this kind of theory that the further south and west they were, it was probably the older they were. And so this grad student was somewhere not very south and west and found this old tree and was trying to get a bore, to get a core out to see how old it was. Uh, and his boring equipment broke. And so he just cut it down. It was 5,700 years old, man. <laughs> That tree was alive when the pyramids were being built. And this dumbass grad student just cut it down. Uh, we have never found an older tree than that tree. Uh, it was the oldest tree and that grad student killed it. Uh, but we have the we have bristlecone pine, the oldest trees. We have the tallest trees in the redwoods. Uh, we have the biggest trees in the sequoias. And then, of course, that, that grove of quaking aspen in Utah – that is the largest organism on Earth because aspens reproduce uh, uh, clonally, clonally they're, like they're clones. And so there's hmm. one that's, that is thought to be like 20,000 years old, uh, this grove of what? aspen trees. Uh, and you put all the mass of that organism together and it's the largest thing on Earth. Gosh, Insane. it's so fascinating. I'm so into Insane. the trees. Did you know the first coin minted in the United States had a pine tree on it? I did not. Because it was a symbol of colonial or uh, of American resistance against the British because the British just wanted us for our trees, Matt. It was uh, at the time, at the time, Matt, we're 20 minutes into the podcast. We've not yet talked about this is perfect. This is what I hope for on the podcast. Um, at the time, you had uh, the British, the English Navy, uh, was trying to overcome the dominance of the Spanish uh, Armada. And the key to it were mass. Uh, by the late 1600s, all of Europe was deforested. You've got industrial revolution stuff happening, but you don't have fuel yet. So they're just burning anything they can to make all of this happen. And all of a sudden you came to, to, to what would become the United States. Uh, and you have this dense, dense forest with trees taller than any trees in Europe. And they made perfect mass. And so what became British naval superiority over the Spanish Armada is due to the, 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 the mass poles that, uh, that came out of the Americas. Uh, and one of the first like, points of friction was that the, the colonists started to refuse to, to send the uh, mast, mass poles back to, to England. So it became on the coin right, as a sign of the resistance. So I'm going to read this book. Thanks to my public library. Is it an audiobook? Probably. I don't 
Mm, I haven't been able to figure out how overdrive works, so I don't I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But Holy Week starts with plants, Matt. It starts with a tree, right? Palms. It it does. It does. Palm Sunday, man. You could tell the whole story of Holy Week through trees. You could be Palm Sunday. You could think about the tree that makes the table on a a Monday Thursday. You could obviously the tree that makes the cross. You could talk about the what you got to burn at the Easter Vigil. I mean, you could do the whole thing with trees. Just like this guy does the American history with trees, you could do Holy Week through trees. You could do liturgical history through trees. I bet. <laughs> next, next Holy, we're a peek behind the curtain here. Here at Oz, friends, is uh, Holy Week comes around, and we don't do our best work. To be honest with you, we've got a lot of things going on. We're going on vacation in the middle of. Like, I mean, to be fair, the scriptures themselves begin and end with trees, right? I mean, you got the tree yeah. of life in the in the garden, and then the tree in Revelation at the end with leaves of healing for the nations. I mean, it begins and ends with a tree in a garden. Imagine how much more, how much more tree centric the Bible would be if it was aware of the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> Just think about that. Um, Just think about it. Next year, we should get Ben Ben uh, Ben Stewart on. I bet he could like do a liturgical history through trees. He'd be super into that. He probably would. <laughs> oh, Holy Week. Holy, Holy Week. Uh, yeah. Holy Week is full, just like the first half of this podcast. And you just you just hang on for dear life, Zach. You just hang on for dear life. That's it's only, only choice you got. Set it up as best you can, and you just hang on for dear life. So uh, should we, let's, di- let's, uh, let's dive in. I think what we're going to do is talk about uh, Palm Sunday, uh, which – of course, tree-based, uh, and then do the three days. We'll save Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday for next week. Sound good? Sounds good. Let's do it. So Palm Sunday. Uh, I'm sure that we have uh, talked. So the, the text, this this Palm Passion Sunday, I'm sure we've talked in circles around this before. Uh, super irritating to have Palm and Passion Sunday stitched together. Is that, is that a thing that we've talked about? I think it is. It must. I mean, my, my, my stance this year would be to say, get the passion out of there. <laughs> Just cut get it. The passion. If you're doing get a Good Friday, what? there's no need. Like, that was the, that was the yeah. old, like, rationale was, well, we want a Good Friday. We'll just read the passion on Sunday. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a challenge. What do you uh, think about a baptism uh, on Palm Sunday? Yeah, what do I think about a baptism? Yeah, you could do it. I mean, you're talking to a guy that started Lent with a baptism this year. So, I mean, uh, clearly I'm open to uh, – I had to have that conversation with uh, with some folks who would already decided to have a grandchild baptized on Palm Sunday. I feel like you could do it. I mean, of course, like pastorally, like they've already decided to do it. Um, so I found ways to affirm <laughs> it, right? Like, right. <laughs> how would you justify it? I think it's a lot better uh, if you don't do passion afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be the challenge, I think. Um, unless you, I get, I mean, I guess like, yeah. Well, what are you doing? Are you doing a passion? I am not doing it, actually. Oh, okay. But some folks, I mean, I guess I would do it at the beginning. I wouldn't like, i do it at the beginning and then, yeah, you probably would. You'd tie it all. I'd just make it Palm Sunday. And I think if it's Palm <laughs> yeah. Sunday, it fits in well. Because hmm. hmm. I don't think people Hot take I don't think people like Palm Passion Sunday I think people like Palm Sunday I think preachers 
especially, and I hear you, overworked solo staff who's doing the tritium and an Easter vigil and in a sunrise service and all that kind of stuff appreciates not preaching and doing the little handouts of the gospel of Luke with the parts that people read. But I think without being too harsh on y'all, that's a little bit of a cop out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it depends on, um, I mean, save your pamphlets for Friday. Yeah, but we won't do it that way on Friday. That's it's, uh, there's like, there's too many things going on. So here's, uh, what we'll do on Palm Sunday. Uh, we're going to do the, the little parade outside with palms. Uh, Palm Sunday in an urban this. environment is the best. Oh, yeah, for sure. It is better. Uh, it's superior to suburban or rural life. And, and when you live in an environment where there are actual palm trees. Yeah, that helps a lot, too. <laughs> helps you. It's pretty uh, fantastic. Uh, fun fact, though, palm trees are very expensive to maintain. Do you know how expensive it is to get them trimmed? It's insane. It's like $1,000. I'm like, what? these things are not worth it. It's not worth the top on your property. Anyway, uh, we'll do that, and then we will imagine if you story. had a grove of quaking aspen. <laughs> right. Um, so we'll do the we'll do the passion reading, and I'll frame it. I'll frame it with some kind of interpretive lens and frame. I feel like I'd do a baptism before that because I mean, really, baptism is baptism into the death and resurrection. So mm-hmm. yeah, have the death story. I, I do like a similar thing that I do with Lent, you know, um, yeah. remember, I think, I think you could do it. I think it could work. There's some killer lines to preach in here. If you're going to do the Luke version, uh, this yeah. year, what are those lines? Uh, we got a cult, right? Go into the village ahead of you. You know, you'll find a cult there that has never been ridden. I mean, man, that the part of my brain that is so excited for Game of Thrones to come back, uh, riding the cult that's never been ridden is, you could do a lot with that, I feel like. I think back to my my history as a human in the world is that my, my family got into horses late in life. You know that, Matt. You've been in my parents' house. You've seen the horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was in fifth grade, my parents just decided we were going to become horse people uh, with no like, firsthand experience with horses. And they decided to buy first a colt that had never been ridden or it was not broken. And my dad, pre-internet, ordered a book off of <laughs> through a catalog about how to break a horse. Uh it's really probably the strongest dad move my dad ever made uh, and broke a horse based on reading a book, which involved a lot of my brother and I sitting on top of it and getting thrown across the all over the place. Yeah. So so you got the, the cult that's never been ridden, which is good. Uh, you got the end of 40 there. I tell you, if these stones were uh, if these were silent, the stones would shout out uh, another power line. And then if you're going to keep going through 44, which I think is an option, especially if you're not doing passion stuff. Because you could really read Palm Sunday uh, in conversation with the parable that comes before it, uh, which is like the, the rich man who goes away and is upset that, that the guy, he takes, uh, gosh, how does it end? Uh, to all those who have more will be given, and from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. That parable. Because uh, this, the, the Palm Sunday reading... Uh, there's a little ending here, 41 to 44, that gets cut off, where Jesus enters the city. He sees it. This is beautiful stuff. Jesus came here, saw the city. He wept over it, saying, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. Uh, so, horse, uh, especially in these times, horses weren't that great, uh, weren't that helpful. You'd rather have a cow or a milk or something that gave, uh, a cow or a goat, something that gave milk. Or a, uh, or a or a stock horse. Uh, a horse was a military animal. So, 
you got this war and peace thing that's really happening here. Uh, and so I like that idea. Gosh, just the idea of Jesus like up on top of a ridge overlooking the city. Uh, if only you knew what the, the things were that make for peace. Hmm. Yeah. What are the things that make for peace? Yeah. No, it is a very uh, look overlooking the city. It's an urban text. It doesn't get preached that much because people do the, the passion stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think there's good, yeah. good stuff there. The Lord needs it. You can do a lot with it. Mm-hmm. Hello, vinyl child. Thank you. Vinyl child. Scream. <laughs> you could so that's um that's palm sunday i mean the other thing is that you get the the passion according to luke you're supposed to do john on good friday whether you do that or not uh but that's that's the other reason i guess to do it mm-hmm. on sunday you want to get those different perspectives i suppose i suppose maybe um what else we got? Anything else on Palm Sunday? I think I've said my piece on. I said the things that make for peace, that make for my peace on Palm Sunday. Uh, fun fact, there are texts assigned for the Monday and the Tuesday. But what about Wednesday? And the Wednesday. What? In Holy Week. Get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not going to talk about them. We're going to go to the three days. Um, Monday, Thursday, uh, as we've talked about before on this podcast, my congregation often does a Seder meal, which is problematic for uh, all sorts of reasons. But the one thing that it does that's been helpful is uh, give us an Exodus framework for the three days, which I think is a uh, an angle that was de-emphasized uh, in my Christian upbringing, but is clearly here, even in the lectionary texts. I mean, the first reading on Monday, Thursday is from Exodus. Um, and I think that gives us a, an interesting, from that person, it takes us, uh, gives us an angle other than just personal salvation to uh, kind of a corporate liberation frame as well. Uh, and that's a helpful balance, I think. Yeah, I like it. That's a fun, interesting way to take it. Um. so that's that's my recommendation to you preachers uh don't do a seder meal <laughs> but do think about that exodus backdrop for everything that's happening because uh, it's not one i think that christians talk about enough are you backing off of your hot take defense of the seder <laughs> is that what I did last year? A hot take defense. I just feel like it's an annual thing. I'm not. I've already seen it. It's like on, really on Facebook, I've seen uh, this is your annual reminder not to do a a, a seder. You anti-Semitic really, jerks. Has it already been posted? I've already God. seen one of them. Uh, and then I'm always like, Oh yeah. And then occasionally you do a like. I did get into it last year with somebody. Yeah, you're right. Because I was like, uh, Look, hey, because it seems like it's more common in African descent churches. Uh, and it is it is quite powerful when you're talking about slavery and uh, and liberation. So it's a little bit different thing. I think it's a little oversimplified to say those seder is inappropriate. Um, but I still I continue to feel so I push back uh, against the stupid hot takes on social media. But uh, but I do continue with to your feel own stupid hot takes. <laughs> I do continue to feel uncomfortable leading it because uh, I don't feel like it's a. Uh, Mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's a it's 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 a challenge. 
but it's not simple. It's not simple. So don't post the simplistic hot takes, y'all. What? What? How? How does the Passover? Does the Exodus frame the three days? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, think about it. Like this is the backdrop for for Jesus for all that's happening. I mean, we can we can go back into uh, all that Jesus is a Jew. Uh, this is the this is the framework that Jesus is entering into and recovering all of this stuff is part of it. Uh, but then even zoom down into the three days and the thing begins with a meal. There's a meal at the edge of liberation. I mean, that's what happens here on Monday, Thursday. He's going to have a meal and then we're going to we're going to leave. We're going to we're going to have the exodus. Uh, and then even up and up through the passing uh, through the waters that happens at the vigil. I mean, we get another Exodus story on the night of the vigil. Uh, and, and, you know, always reminds me, I set up my swimming pool, my great big swimming pool. And uh, the one time we had the bishop come for our Easter vigil uh, and I'd, I'd stand in the middle of the waters and take the child uh, from the parents uh, and pass, pass through the waters and then pass it off to the bishop on the other side of the sea. That was uh, Bishop Guy's favorite part of the service <laughs> was that he got to welcome the little ones to the promised land. Uh, but there's a passing through the waters image there at the vigil as well. So I think that kind of imagery there uh, is all over the place. Um, so if you want a way out of just the kind of uh, sacrificial atonement, Exodus also gives you a, a different angle there to help um, child frame things. Is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah. I like, uh, if I might add to that, uh, the reading from Exodus 12, which kind of describes like the plagues and, and, and that Exodus Passover stuff, to me has a tenor and tone of kind of hunkering down. And I think maybe <clears throat> if I were doing Tritium preaching, it could be a way of kind of hunkering us down for this, like cricket, right? It's a cricket of, uh, of, the, of, of the lectionary. That it's three days but one service, uh, and so that this invitation into into some hunkering down. In the same vein that, like, uh, to continue with the trees, uh, we haven't gotten there yet. But with, uh, <clears throat> I love the the part about the ants from Lord of the Rings uh, <clears throat> that the Doctor Bishop Satterley pushed to us from the from the Lent source book uh, about how ants speak very slowly, and so they don't say uh, anything unless it is worth taking the time to say and that using that as an invitation into the, the vigil because at least if it's at your church Matt it's going to last a long long time uh, so you got to you got to let people know right uh, so that same sort of like welcome to this thing we hunker down into the darkness of of I mean it's still where I'm kind of at with this Lent this year's version of Lent is is doing my best to really participate in it and not assume that I know where the story will take me to not assume that I know where this will end to hunker down as they did in the Exodus, uh, during this crazy time, not knowing exactly how the story will end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited about this. Well, I'm, I'm glad, uh, that I don't know where it will take me this year because now having done this thing a number of times, I mean, I remember the first well, the first few times you're kind of terrified, just trying to make sure everything holds together. Uh, and then you start to get a little bit good at it and you're like, okay, what can we, how can we push the envelope? How can we be creative? Uh, and you start to really play with that. And then you've kind of, uh, run it through a number of times. We've done the big vigil like three times now. And now I'm like, all right, well, I'm starting to feel kind of old. Like I need to, we need to mix it up again. Um, so the idea that it's not, uh, all on you to figure it out, but that you kind of, 
you do, you just, you go through it and it's going to take you places that, uh, that you may not expect. So hang on for dear life. I like it. I like it, man. Good Friday. Are y'all, uh, are you new city perishing? Good Friday again this year? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we are. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how, you know, so we do a collaborative service for Good Friday with a number of churches. Uh, and whenever you do something collaborative, uh, you're always kind of crossing your fingers that everything is going to hold together. Everybody's going to do their part. Everything's going to flow. And uh, so that's what we're doing again this year, hoping and praying. Um, last year we did a, a hashtag cross and we were talking about different social movements going on in the world with this great big chalkboard hashtag cross this year we thought about what's going on in the world and of course uh we thought about the the border and the wall so we're gonna build a wall <laughs> and then we're gonna turn can't it, beat them join them right and then we're gonna turn it into a table Ooh. uh which we can't eat at because it's good friday and we're still fasting yeah. uh until the vigil but we're gonna set that table and then just leave it you know we're just gonna set it into a table and then leave it so uh hopefully that works that's the big idea but it's all got to come together in the next two weeks. Uh, we shall see. But uh, but yeah, Holy Week, Good Friday, uh, Vigil, Thursday. It's a chance to, to do some creative things. It's a chance to think outside the box. You know, sometimes Sundays there's a, a certain number of restrictions. Uh, things are kind of set up a certain way. Uh, you can mess with it a little bit. But, um, but I, feel, I always feel in the three days that I have more uh, freedom to play. I like it. I like it. I, um, I'm not, I mean, we're good Friday with other folks and stuff, right? So I'm not actually preaching or in charge of, of, of a liturgy in any way. Uh, but Matt, it's, it's that time of year. I don't know if you know, uh, by the time this reaches our podcast, listeners ears will be less than one week away from the eighth and final season of game of Thrones. Uh, and I still like the take, that what is happening on Good Friday is a Game of Thrones. Uh, as folks, gosh, you could even quote that little that little finger monologue about how uh, it's all this ladder and it's climbing the ladder. And, uh, everybody always just falls off the ladder, uh, and that it's that we're all we're all playing the Game of Thrones, and yet uh, no one ever wins the Game of Thrones. Um, I I can't keep up, man. I've been trying to like. I got my entertainment weekly that's supposed to prep you for all the games. I would have like the family tree and I still, I feel like it's a thing I should get into because I like mythologies. I like the star Wars. I like the, I like the Lord of the Rings. I, I feel like I should get into it. I'm trying. Uh, but I also get no support from, uh, from my own vital spouse who has read all of the books, but, but hates them because they're, she finds them nihilistic. Well, see, Matt, that makes it perfect for us. <laughs> I did take a good shot at the Enneagram on the internet. I don't know if you saw that, where I said the Enneagram was the uh, essential oils of the church. Uh, <laughs> but as a four, it's like it's like all of the great hero mythology stuff, except with way more sadness. <laughs> I can't wait, Matt. Like I, I have watched. I listened to a. An, hour and a half long podcast that that went through the the trailer that came out uh, and broke it down scene by scene do you do you listen to binge mode is that your yes i've just been binge mode, doing the binge mode harry potter but i haven't uh haven't i don't do the harry potter but <laughs> they're pretty great though so that's holy week here it is here it is
You vigil? Did we talk about vigil? Do we need to talk about vigil? Uh, what do you want to talk about with the vigil? <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. good. I like it. I'm going to go to one, probably. Yeah, I love the vigil. I've always loved the the um, the strong signs of the vigil. I mean, anytime you get all your all your senses involved, I mean, you get a fire in the darkness. I mean, anytime you get to do that, how often do you get to do that? Yeah. I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, we do a lot of bonfires at St. Mark's, but still, like to have it as as the kickoff of your worship service, the gathering of your worship services around a fire on the street corner. I mean, it's just like you can't beat it. So it's hard to continue to think of ways to creatively present uh, the stories. I always try to, partly because uh, I'm a four and I always want to do it differently every time. <laughs> that just gets challenging. Uh, but they're such good stories. Oh, my gosh. I had someone tell me again last week. Uh, you know, I just find the Old Testament really hard because it's just so violent and da, da, da. And, you know, thank goodness we have the gospel. And, I'm, and I, I hear you. But uh, there's so many good stories, so many good stories. And uh, the vigil, the vigil, full of these great Old Testament stories. Love it. Um, uh, so, yeah, and then you get you get water. You got to play with water. Uh, uh, you can you can do a horse trough. You can do a swimming pool. Uh, but you get you get fire and water and story. Uh, and then you end it with the first communion of easter i mean it's just like it's so much fun even if you just walk through it there's so much good stuff man we are the choir to preach to <laughs> you know what i just thought of uh i don't know if you're familiar with the ponderosa pine tree uh to stay on our tree to stay tree tree focused here uh but the ponderosa pine which is is, is pretty prevalent in colorado especially in the mountains smells like vanilla and butterscotch uh it has a distinct odor uh and and i i think I mean, I think preaching the vigil is pretty easy. You want it pared down. You don't like you're there for three hours. They don't need a 20 minute sermon because you've been listening to stories forever. And so it's more about connecting and I think introducing and being a little bit of a flight attendant. But to think about the vigil as an opportunity to do like the multi-sensory stuff in ways outside that that, that are beyond the kind of normal con, uh, constraints of of your worship space, which is most of the time, right? If you're doing smell stuff, it's almost always just incense or not and that's super intense but i always love the vigil that moves around from spaces in a in a place like like yours did uh when i was out there a couple years ago right we were outside i think we started outside we went to the the sanctuary we ended up in the courtyard with the thought and i guess we went back in probably uh my episcopal friends they have a chapel in the sanctuary and they play them really well off of each other and so we do some things in one space and some things in the other space but as a liturgian nerd, right, I just don't get any better than, than it doesn't get any better than the vigil because so few people have. I have never heard one of my colleagues say, "I really like to change the vigil." But people love that we do this, so we have to do it every year. You got the tabla rasa, you got the blank blank slate here, uh, and you get to really go for it. So go for it. If I were to do it, I am telling you now that my inspiration would be like, hmm, "How can I get people to smell ponderosa pine?" Uh, and reverse engineer it out of the stories. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, that, the, that's, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, tabula rasa, you're not going to feel that way uh, on Easter morning. No. We'll have our own. If you can do some, I mean, you know, like, I've had some fun sermons on Easter Sunday, but but most of the service I can't really mess with. Like, that's really not the time to experiment, you know? I don't think we're going to do brass this year. <laughs> right? Like, you just said no one ever. Uh, <laughs> you 
you do what you can a little bit in the preaching you can surprise people a bit but like the the overall structure of the service you just you just you kind of got to not mess with what if we did something besides eastern lilies (laughs) right yeah (laughs) so so this is your uh yeah enjoy your last sunday just a chance to play and people say like why you know like hey you're gonna be exhausted on easter sunday and it's true yes sure (laughs) you're gonna be tired uh but uh it helps if you just have vacation live for you know yeah exactly (laughs) a relaxing vacation (laughs) i don't get that that's funny to me people are like super protective over lent for scheduling stuff right that's the time to get away man (laughs) going crazy what are you listening to this holy week man yeah so i've got this uh image in my head of a of a street parade on palm sunday so uh the soundtrack for that is going to be Mi Gente by J Balvin and Beyonce. Mm. <laughs> I want to get that Latin, uh, ah, that Latin feel. Uh, there was a Jimmy Fallon episode in Puerto Rico recently where uh, they went through the streets with Bad Bunny, and it was just, uh, it was kind of a beautiful thing. So I kind of have that image in my head mm-hmm. for Palm Sunday. Make this thing a street party. That's uh, uh, yeah, that's what I'm listening to for Palm Sunday. I've got a song for each day of the week. Should I walk us through the week or do you want to do a Palm Sunday one? How do you want to do it? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll do my Palm Sunday one. I was really okay. struck by, uh, Jesus rides the colt that's never been ridden. Uh, I like that a lot. And so I'm going with a classic, uh, that I remember being sold on lots of compilation tape, cassette tapes and CDs on TV, like commercials. Uh, I'm going to America horse with no name. Uh, <laughs> I've been through the desert, just like we've been through the wilderness of Lent that, uh, Yes. I'm riding out of it on a horse with no name. I was like, I wonder if he's going to do horse with no name. And uh, he totally did. It I has did. like two chords too. It's a great song for the <laughs> guitar. That was like when I was in guitar one, you know, and mm-hmm. they have like, it's like two chords. You just move your fingers. Oh, it's, it's great. I'm sure there's a more complicated way to do it, but there's a super simple way to do that yeah. song. I, uh, we should, in an upcoming episode, we should talk a little more. I've done some recently, did a little administration on our, our Facebook group for the uh, Old Town School folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss it so much. Uh, Monday, Thursday. Uh, I think I've freedom songs on Monday, Thursday since I'm thinking about Exodus and Liberation. So, uh, Commons, uh, Letter to the Free. Commons, mm. Letter to the Free. It's a good one. Freedom Come. I like it. Huh? I like it. Well, before we get to, to Good Friday, I suggest you hold on. Because, uh, gosh, the tritium, the three days, you better hold on. And uh, Alabama Shakes are going to help you do it. Alabama Shakes, what are they up to now? Man. Didn't they? Did they I feel like they might have broken up, but I don't know that for sure. Oh, no. Or that she went solo. Okay. Or maybe not. I don't know. I could see that happening we either. To, but. We may have to research that. <laughs> uh, good Friday. Yeah, good Friday. Um. Good Friday. I want to do, I guess, like a Beyonce theme this year. My goodness. Uh, Beyonce's I Was Here. I Was Here. Uh, Yeah, which I heard at the Beyonce Mass, uh, really for the first time. I don't think I'd ever heard that song before. Um, But it's it's really good, and it does make me think of, like, Good Friday. There's something, like, uh, powerful, but but also, I don't know, elegaic about it or something. So, Beyonce, I Was Here. I like it. Uh, Matt, I'm going to stick with my Game of Thrones uh, focus, uh, and I'm going to go Jay-Z and Kanye. Watch the throne, uh, <laughs> which is a really fun song. And 
uh, has some clips in it from uh, Blades of Glory, the Will Ferrell movie. Oh, that's right. <laughs> We're going to skate to one song and one song only. <laughs> You're now watching the throne. Don't let me get my zone. Yes. All right, and uh, for the vigil, uh, I feel like when I listen to the... Uh, uh, Americana playlists on Spotify. This one always comes up, but Light That Match uh, by Down Like Silver. Uh, and it's a nice little rolling, rocking little song, Light That Match. I like it. Matt, I'm going to finally get to my tree song. Uh, I'm talking about trees all episode. Uh, and I'm going to go Kimia Dawson's Tree Hugger. Kimia Dawson, um, gosh, what was she in? Uh, that Ellen Page movie? Ellen Page mm-hmm. is pregnant with Jason... Um, she was all over that soundtrack. Uh, and mm-hmm. I just think it's a great song for the vigil because I think Kimya is, I mean, on one hand, super good, but super playful. Uh, and the vigil, I think, should be super playful. So mm-hmm. play you some Kimya Dawson. Good stuff. You got a playlist. We did it. Get you through Semana Santa. My only issue with the Spanish that I, emails that I'm writing is that in Northwest Spain, you're really close to Portugal. So it's like whatever the Portuguese-Spanish yeah. version of Spanglish is. Are you going to be listening to a lot of Portugal, the man? <sighs> That's right. <laughs> I'm going to live in the moment, I think, for now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh. Well, it's been a real Holy Week. It's been a real vinyl Holy Okay, I don't know. <laughs>